Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable, and that's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. You better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back, and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome back to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. But it's someone that has been doing some amazing things in China that I want to do an interview with. Before I give you an introduction, let me go to her. I have her on the phone right now. Her name is Lily. Hello, Lily. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, I I was... uh, using my 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 uh kindle uh completely bored in between uh doing some trips uh the the travel that i was doing and so i put in a keyword for china because that's where i live and that's a lot of the stuff that i consume has to do about china and then i came across this book china's second wives and i thought what is this and i have to tell you it had an embarrassing cover so as I'm looking at it, I'm like, I'm hoping nobody's looking over my shoulder because they're going to think that I'm like surfing porn on my Kindle or something. So um, could you tell us a little bit uh, just about yourself before we talk about the before we talk about the book? Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm Chinese. I grew up in China uh, in a in a city called Xuzhou in Jiangsu Province. Uh, I. I moved to America. I immigrated to to America in 1992. So I have lived in America for 23 years, 20, 24 years. Okay, and so this this subject is not one in which you're completely unfamiliar with. I mean, because you were born and raised in China, so it's not like this this American one day getting an idea and kind of searching from from scratch in a in a culture that's completely foreign. Uh, you're you're Chinese, and you you've grown up. Even though you've lived in America for quite a while, um, you understand at least a lot of the cultural overtones uh, when when doing any subject that has to do with China. Absolutely, yeah, that's that's a very good observation. Um, because yeah, I have lived in, in America for you know half half of my life, but I grew up in China. Um, and I, I go back to China frequently for you know to visit family and, and for business. So um, so I know what's going on in China. And I in America because you know, what's going on in China right now is it's like a kind of like a hot topic. There are a lot of you know you always read article in newspapers, magazines about China. There are a lot of books uh, written about China, and I, I read them. Um, but I you know. Most of them are written by either Western journalists or scholars. So, I, as a Chinese and grew up in China, I feel like there's a layer of you know Chinese culture that's almost inaccessible to people that didn't grow up there or didn't speak the language. You know, so um, so so I you know because because I grew up there and I have I have lived in America, I kind of know both culture in depth. And then I saw the misunderstanding. You know what is what is lost in translation. So I think that's probably one of the, the reasons why I wanted to, to write this book, but that's not the biggest motivator. The biggest motivator, of course, was, 
was a subject. Uh, those women, I was, you know, I was um, just, when I, when I realized what was going on, I was, I was, you know, shocked. I was amazed. I was curious. wanted to know what's going on. So that's what inspired me to write the book. And I have to say, it's quite unique. I mean, I do a lot of reading um, about uh, China and the situation in China. A lot of the books have to do with um, uh, the economy, um, sometimes politics, uh, sometimes a little mixture of both. But very rarely do I come across a, a book that is something that I haven't really studied or even heard about or or come across. I mean, the subject matter that you're tackling is is really unique. So, can you tell me a, a little bit how you came about to do the research for writing this book about China's second wives? Right. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a very good question as well. Um, yeah, of course, you know, like going back back and forth between China and the U.S. I one thing I see is like um, you know I was like with Van Winkle. I see changes all the time. I mean, you you have lived in China, so you know. Uh, There's just, you know, very fast changes, amazing changes. Of course, in different arena, like you said, in the politics and, uh, you know, economy, That's I think that's what a lot of people, you know, see, uh, you know, the, the big big ones. Um, but, you know, because I'm Chinese, when I go back, I, I visit family, you know, I, I visit friends, I talk to people on the ground. So I see the, their underlying changes. Uh, that not so visible to the Western eye or the you know the, the New York Times reporter, um, but but uh, but it's like the but it reflects everything. It's like a speck of dust that reflects many things. Um, so yeah, then you know just stories. When I go back, you know you you hear about things. You know like Blanco had a you know a mistress, or you know you're reading the newspaper, and I started to to see this phenomenon, and I wanted to understand. Um, you know what what drives those women or men to to make those decisions? Because China was a little bit of like a puritanical uh, country because of you know feudalism and communism. And the China I grew up, um, you know, people don't talk about sex, and it was like kind of a taboo subject. It was like hush hush. Now all of a sudden, you know, I, you know, people start to have mistresses or like you know KTVs and all that. I wanted to know what, what was going on. But really, what what, uh, what fascinated me was, was those women because I'm a woman. I have sisters, um, I have friends, you know, like girlfriends, and uh, I was just thinking um, when I grew up in China, you know, we were sort of like brought up like like um, communist feminist. You know, women can hold up half of the sky. Uh, we can do anything, you know, man can do. We're educated, um, so. So why why see those women become you know mistresses or or even wives allow their husband to cheat? I was like this is you know inequality. So I wouldn't put up with it. So why would those women? What drove them? Um, yeah. So of course you know once I started researching and I I, I understood that it, it was just like a it's like an incision into the Chinese society, reflective of all the economic. Um, political and cultural and and all that you know all all the things that that kind of form a perfect storm 
for this phenomenon to happen. And can um, I, I just um, I, I just want to read for our audience a couple of things that kind of jumped out at me from the very beginning. It kind of drew me deeper uh, into your book. Uh, it was this this uh, the name of a the, the director of a Jiangsu Province Construction Bureau by the name of Shu Qiyao, and he had a hundred and forty six second wives. And there was a there was yeah. another one that you said um, uh, Dong Maojul. A bank president in Shenzhen. Shenzhen is um, the bordering city right there in uh, on Hong Kong, so it's very well known for being one of the first special economic zones to open up uh, in China, uh, and a lot of production comes from that region still. But a bank president in Shenzhen spent 184 million renminbi on one mistress over a course of two years. Um, 184 uh, million renminbi, uh, roughly, would be about how much in U.S. dollars. I mean, that, this is a but- divided by six. Yeah, divided yeah. by six. So it's a buttload of <laughs> it's a, it's a buttload yeah. of money. So we're still talking about well over six million uh, U.S. dollars or 60 million U.S. Yeah. dollars. So 60 million. I mean, this is this is nuts. This is insane amounts of money. Yeah. This yeah. girl must have been quite the entertainer. Then there's this uh, in 2008. One you you had written that in 2008 a study had been done, and one third of all luxury goods were consumed by China's second wives. So the, yeah. you got these women that are being taken care of by these mm-hmm. men, and it is not a cheap proposition for either side. I mean, not that you know a. a, a a female's uh, body can be paid for in any way. So, I mean, she's giving up quite a lot, but <laughs> 60 million. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a big trade-off on yes. both sides taking place. Yes. Yes. That, that's why it caused such outrage, you know, in, in, in China, because people hated China, you know, second wives in, in China, because, you know, in China, like there now there's a small percentage of, of people, you know, become very rich, but majority of people still poor. And there's, you know, huge like disparity between rich and poor and growing, and corruption. So people hated corruption, and then they read those, you know, those headlines about those mistresses and the corrupt officials. It was like, look, you know, I struggle to make four thousand yuan a month here. You know, yeah, there's a lot of that's why there's a lot of hatred towards those second wives in China. Yeah, and four thousand yuan uh, for our aud- listening audience would be roughly, let's say, 700, 800 U.S. dollars, just kind of off the top, just to kind of put it in there. They're, they're not even, you know, going over a grand, a uh, thousand U.S. dollars per month. Uh, and you had actually attributed, you know, this to go hand in hand with corruption, which I thought was 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 pretty astute as an observation when you said that, um, you know, in order to have these kind of comfort wives or these these uh, these second wives, uh, men would need to get their hands on large amounts of money, and that large amount of money, of course, often came at the price of corruption. And so uh, it, it, there was this uh, you you had made a connection of like a a hand in hand obligation almost. Absolutely, because um, you know I, I talk. I have some friends living in America who are uh, you know, work for the government. They, they don't get paid much. Maybe they make sixty thousand dollars a year in you know in Pennsylvania. That's not a whole lot of money, but it's also they're not poor. So you know they they don't they they're not corrupted because 
they're not they they're not rich but they're not poor. So in China, they you know it, it was a poor country. So those all of those officials were uneducated. They 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 came from the ar- army. You know, those before they went to the army, they were like peasants in in some village. So they they came from nothing. And then, then they they became they are educated. They became officials. They came to the city. There's just so much temptation, you know. But they were, they they were not paid a lot. And then there were just all this temptation to have power, but it's not cash. So then those women, you know, the the reason young beautiful women with somebody, you know, a man who's not educated, she didn't even find attractive. And of course, obviously, she wanted money or, or you know favors. So yeah, he then he does, you know, he has to. Take bribes or abuse his power to to satisfy her. Uh, yeah, it is a vicious circle. It's, um... And and when you did this, uh, when you did this, you know, you're 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 thinking about writing the book. Um, mm-hmm. What I found amazing because you don't have a lot of data to go off of. Not a lot of research has been done, uh, as you mentioned earlier. China is a little bit more of a of a of a conservative nature in the way that talking about sex can be taboo. Um, so definitely doing research or getting people to come out and openly discuss this is not an easy proposition. So you did something quite unique in order to get this information. Can you take us along that journey? Because that I found fun. I really have to say that you're, the, yeah. the way you started to get information was quite a bit of fun. Thank you. Yes, it, it, it was quite a journey. So the, the book, once, once the, the book idea came to my head, I have never written a book. Um, you know, I, I did have an English literature degree, but English is my second language, so I've never written a book. It was above my head. So I have this dear friend, his name is David. He's an English professor teaching at uh, Carnegie Mellon. So he's, you know, he's quite, um, he, he has taught in China, so he loves China, and he, he cares about women issues. And, uh, so he and I got together, and we were going to do a book together, because some kind of academic book. If you're going to and do a first he, book, Lily... Really, yeah. to get an English professor from from Carnegie Mellon, I mean, <laughs> you're you're not really scraping the bottom of the barrel. You're you're kind of at the top cream shelf. So I mean, uh, kudos. <laughs> I mean, that's quite an amazing resource right there. So already you've got a great start. Yeah. Okay. So so you, now you've yeah, got this David partner was... that is working together with yeah, you. He, he, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So he wrote a book, um, uh, Arab Woman, Arab News. So, so it was, you know, he was. Um, you know, he called him a feminist. You know, he, he sees the inequality between genders all over the world, and he cares about Chinese culture. So, yeah, it was a project he, he wanted to do, and um, and he liked my background. So we decided to work together to write some sort of uh, academic book. And he, so David is a researcher. He started researching, just like you said. There was barely anything. There was no, no books written on Chinese second wife. But it's just not even we can find an article here and an article there. Um, there's just not a whole lot. So what what we did was uh, we we researched around it. You know, we re- researched on gender inequality. We researched, um, you know, prostitution. We researched, um, uh, you know, the sexuality in Chinese history throughout. What does it mean to men or to women? We researched the uh, polygamy. You know, between 1949, so you know, men could have multiple wives. Uh, we researched uh, you know, what's going on today. You know, like the uh, inequality, gender inequality in job markets. You know, the college students, female college students, uh, have the, the have the less uh, chance to get a you know good paying job than the male. We research on corruption versus 
where um, you had to have connections even to get a decent job. So we researched a lot, you know, around it. But like you said, there's like just not not a whole lot, you know, um, that home life. So that then that that took me to China. So I, I went went back to China even before that. You know, I started calling family and friends and said, hey, you know, do you know somebody that's second wife or somebody keeps second wife? I can interview them. They say, yeah, we do. You know, it's all around us. But guess what? Nobody wants to talk to you <laughs> because everybody has you know, they hide. The men hide because you know they don't want their wives to know if they're. A, Official, then they're going to be, you know, fired and, you know, whatever, put in jail. And the women, you know, they, they hide it too. So, yeah, so it was, it came to a dead, dead end. I almost felt like I, I had no book at that time. Then I started researching, and all of a sudden, yeah, I started to find those online chat rooms. They're, they're just groups of, you know, second wives and mistresses because they had to hide from. Their family, you know, the, the the public and even their family, their best friends, they have no outlet. They're just like a, they're on a stranded island, so they seek out each other. Those are secret chat rooms, and they're very vigilant about keeping outsiders out. They they kick you out if they, they think you are a general journalist or you're a first wife, and uh, they're very tough. So I just pretended to be a. <laughs> A second wife, I, you know, I, I come up with a big name. And so, uh, can, I uh, just, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, how did you find these secret chat rooms? I mean, are you just going on to Google? Are you going to Baidu? Are you just putting in Second Wives Club and coming up with a general search? How do you find a chat room where Second Wives come together and, and talk with one another? Yeah, exactly. I think I, I used everything. I think I used Baidu. I didn't use Google. I used Baidu. I used um, Kenya, um, um, you know, Sina. You know, every Chinese site I, I could find, I just, you know, a lot of them lead into the dead end. There's nothing. Then some of them lead me somewhere. Then then there are also chat room I got in. There's nobody there. It doesn't really mean, you know. So finally, after some time, I, I found, like, I think three. That they're real, you know, mistresses. So that's how I found them. Just after a lot of like, you know, trial and error, and that's how I discovered them. Okay, so the chat room that you find, you there's three, three women in there, in this chat room. No, it, three, three chat rooms. There are oh, many okay, so it's three yeah, different right. chat rooms. So the three different chat right. rooms. Can you can you tell us like? Or, or do you even know about how many people are involved? Is it like a like a uh, a, a Facebook site where it says, "Well, you have you know one thousand likes." I mean, how how uh, do you know how many people were in that chat room? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. It's a chat room. It's like it, you have to be admitted in. It's an administrator. They call the you know leader of the room of the chat room. They have to allow you to come in. You send a request, and they can they can say yes or no. They have to, they ask your story. You know, are you a mistress? Are you what's your story? Yeah. And so if they like you, they they let you in. So especially the the two that are just consist of the mistresses, those are kind of you know strict. And I think they are, and the numbers vary because you know they come and go. Some you know second wives come in, they have a crisis, they stay there for six months and then leave and. I saw them stay there for years. So I think those two chat rooms, they go, you know, they can, the numbers vary from like, you know, 80 to, you know, 140, they, they fluctuate. And um, can, can you give us a little bit, like, what was your background for the chat room? What kind of story did you have to make up in order to get into a chat room like that? It, to get exactly. past these gatekeepers? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I had to lie a little bit, basically. Uh, one, my age, right? So I have to reduce my age because most of those women are from age like 16 to age 30. Age because, 16? You know, those, those... So there's girls yeah. in there that is as young as age 16. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. Um, so I know if I tell them I'm 40, they would say, oh, no way, you know. So I told them I was 25, I think. Uh, then I told them I was from, you know, Nanjing, Jiangsu province, Nanjing. Um, and I came up with a fake name. And so they asked me, what's the story? I just said, well, you know, I mean, I'm entangled with a married man. And yeah, so, you know, then they asked you a few more questions to, to make sure, you know, your story is reliable. Then, you know, then somehow I passed the test and they let me in. But they did kick me out twice. <laughs> Once they found out it wasn't, they were very angry. They were... They just came at me and they attacked me once they realized I tried to write a book. They were so angry at me. How did they find out that you were not real? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, my, I, I was, once I joined the chat room, I just, I was a fly on the wall. I was just listening and I'm fascinated about, you know, so they, they come out and talk about anything. And uh, then I realized, you know, I piece, there are many characters, maybe 10 people chatting. I, you know, you get their life get a bit of a story because they're chatting that day. I was thinking to write a book, I need their whole story. I need to know where they grew up and, you know, what education I, you know, how did they become, a, I, I need a one-on-one interview like, you know, we're doing right now. But I knew I cannot interview them, you know, as a mistress and they would say, why do you ask me, you know? So, so at a certain point, I realized I had to just come clean. I had to just say, I, I need to interview you. But, but not to scare them, I had a Chinese intern working for me. So I had her, I had her contact them first. You know, like, you know, the, my, my friend Lily, who, you know, is Chinese-American, and she's doing this book research, and she would like to interview you. Somehow they figured out it was me. <laughs> I don't know how they figured out. They turned on me. They were very nasty, and which I understood. I invaded their privacy. You know, it was the safe haven for them to, to be themselves. Here I was a spy. So I felt I felt bad about it actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you were a spy. You were infiltrating into these inner circles to be able to reveal a part of of uh, Chinese society at the moment that is very much underground. Um, yeah. You, you know, I I am a little bit familiar with prostitution in China, but I've never really. When I first saw this book, I thought that you were talking more like these. Uh, in, in China, uh, when you travel around, uh, most of the hotels – I work a lot with the government officials, and uh, we, do, we do a lot of humanitarian projects. And when I'm traveling with government officials, sometimes we'll stay at nicer hotels. Sometimes we'll stay at government hotels that are a throwback to like the 1980s and, and 90s. And within those hotels are always young women um, that are hanging around. And sometimes uh, when I meet with certain officials – I've noticed that there are officials that will only go to certain hotels and sometimes I'll see the same girls around the same officials. And I know, right. you know, generally what's going on, but I've always considered it to be a bit like prostitution. You know, you're just paying for like a geisha or something, you know, a, a woman to right. entertain you or take care of you. And I've also, you know, in, as a as a male, you always get these your phone starts to ring late at night asking yep. if you want a girl or a massage, you know, at two or three o'clock in the morning. So I'm, I'm familiar with that. 
But now right. you are revealing a, a part of the society that I didn't have a clue about, and uh, and I and I consider myself quite knowledgeable about Chinese uh, society. However, um, because we do work with a lot of uh, Christians inside of China, a lot of Christian women, the, it's an epidemic where these women um, come into the churches and they're praying for their husbands. And I tell you that yeah. there's so many of these women that they, they got married, they worked hard to start off a business. The business got going and became very successful. And now the man yeah. doesn't come home anymore. They're not divorced. Exactly. They're still together. But the man just right. is not alone. He's always at the hotel and the wife knows that he's with another woman. And so exactly. I always considered that to be more like prostitution until I read exactly. your book, which is why right. I was excited to do the interview with you um, to, right. to kind of un unravel this a little bit more for our audience and, and encourage our audience members to also read this book. You, you said something that I thought was really interesting, and I, I would like to ask you to explore it a little bit more. You said that um, there could be a throwback in, this, in what China is experiencing today in the, in the feudalistic system where there were concubines. But you actually went so far as to say that maybe concubines actually had it better than the second wives. Could, could you explain yeah. that a little bit? Yes, absolutely. Um, so in the uh, the uh, you know feudalistic China, uh, rich men have you know more more than one wife. It's like that is simple is to produce sons and for their you know sexual gratification. Um, but they keep those women. You know they they, they sometimes they bring them to their household. Those women just they're required to you know to to defer to the first wife. Uh, or the mother-in-law, you know, just kind of follow the order. But but the woman and, and her offspring were were under you know under the protection of the man's household, um, and they were they were accepted. They were looked on. They were looked on upon. You know, even the their offsprings were looked on upon. You know, um, but but they were at least they were secure. But the second wives in China today, if you read the chapter that where I interviewed the the lawyer Zheng Baichuan. You know, the, the average time they were kept were 18 months. Basically, they were just used for, you know, sex, sexual gratification. And uh, once the woman, you know, one phenomenon, one thing he pointed out was once the woman became pregnant and, and you know, gave birth to a child, you know, it's like her, her vagina became loose. And the man would just dump her for that reason. So, really, they just use her as, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, sex sex machine. Um and then not only that, the woman has to hide. You know, in, in feudal China, she doesn't have to hide. And she, she, she's a, you know, she received less respect. But, but no, you know, women had to hide because they were haunted by the first wife. The first wife would, they would beat them. They would, uh, they would publicly humiliate them. And not even the first wife, but the, um, you know, even her friend, her family, they were, they were just humiliated. They were, they're socially unaccepted. Um, you know, and, and then the man would just dump them with no, they, since they're not married, the woman cannot sue for alimony or child support. Uh, they have no recourse. They become poor, and they, you know, they have physical and, and mental illnesses. Um, yeah, it's a really, to me, it's a horrible existence. You know, I talked to David, who, you know, who helped me with the book. He, he did a, a book on Arab women. And, you know, of course, in, in, in Arab world, we think the women in Arab world is, 
Muslim world is, is you know much worse than you know Chinese women because they're still you know they have to cover their face all that you know you cannot drive in Saudi Arabia you know men can have other wives but still they 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 have some kind of security um, like um, for example they they uh, once you become a mother you 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 know you earn some certain you know like respect or, or something but this second wife. You know they're they're abandoned. It's almost like they become pregnant and they're abandoned. You know then then they're less attractive as as a sex object. So yeah. So in a way, I really think the the predicament of you know contemporary Chinese second wives are worse. And you had uh, also attributed like uh, some of these women would have multiple abortions uh, during their yeah. relationship, which uh, yeah. can can contribute to a lot of trauma to a female's body maybe even preventing her from having a pregnancy with her husband in the future yes let me tell you i mean it was a very emotional journey for me to be in the chat room follow this woman's stories you know i become angry i become like you know why does you know like many things would just you know just make my blood boil but this one thing this abortion thing is really i i I would just speechless when I listen to this woman's story, how they abuse their body, but for no reason. I was like, you know, why don't you use birth control? I think it's because the man didn't want it. I, Chinese men have to have all those um, ideas about sex. You know, if you look back the the history, you know, what, what sex means to a Chinese man is different from what sex means to a Western man. Um, you know, like the, the daughter's tradition is, is like, I mean, there are all kinds of things, you know, like, for example, they, they value virgins. I think if you have sex with a virgin, it's good for your health. They give you long, a gift, they give you good health or whatever, you know. And um, I, I think this... Um, so if, 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 they, if a Chinese, uh, the, so the Chinese men believe that if they have sex with a virgin, it's good for their health? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> all it's right. It's in Daoism. It's in Daoism. So, so it's in Chinese culture. So they think they will cure you or make you younger or something. And the people still believe in that. I know that because it's in a different culture. And maybe they, they, they maybe they think have, having sex with a condom is something wrong. Uh, so they, they, so they don't. And those women, because they in a compromised position, they need to hold on to those men. Uh, if they don't, other women would. So they would just have unprotected sex and get pregnant. And they just have abortion after abortion. It just abuse their body. Yeah, many women will become infertile because of that. That's really, yeah, that was killing me. Seriously, that was just the biggest thing that was, wow. was shocking. Yeah, it, it was just horrible. To me, it just, uh, yeah, I, I, that was a very sensitive subject for I me. I can imagine. Um, that that must have been really yeah. sad as, and as difficult. That's a woman, because, yeah, I mean, emotion, you know, I'm thinking, you know, what they have to go through emotionally and physically. And it's completely unnecessary. You know, they didn't have, they didn't have to have now. When maybe some woman was hoping if she did become pregnant, it would be like a handle to hold on to the man. But the man would just say, no, I, you know, don't, you cannot have this baby because if you have this baby, now, you know, it's going to expose me. I'm official. They're going to kick me out. And then you, I won't have the money to give you. Whatever reason is, to me, it's very irrational. I mean, let's say if I had to be a second wife, I had to, you know, sell my body, I would just, I would protect myself at least. Somehow they just didn't seem to have that, you know, that knowledge or that, um, I don't know what, what I know. Yeah, there's, there's a, there's a tendency sometimes, 
uh, to talk about abortion in a very clinical way, which almost has an emotional detachment to it. But I'm the father of two children, and I can tell you that when my wife had those had had both of our children, uh, uh, there was an emotional atta- attachment to them before they were born. Uh, not just yeah. because it was together with me, but also it was a connection between her and the baby before the baby was born. So when these ladies have an abortion, it's I can imagine that it's kind of like losing a part of their soul each time they yeah. give up this the life of this child. I, I think it's extremely difficult for all of them. That's why they became uh, vengeful. You know, they, they, they sacrifice for the man. They, they feel like they give up the child for the man to hoping the man would, you know, compensate them in the, with money or commitment. But when the man didn't, sometimes they really tend to turn vengeful. Um, yeah, I, I think the abortion has a different, um, uh, like a different meaning to Chinese people as to, you know, Westerners, especially, I think, you know, Christians. Uh, I think it just became such commonplace. It became a, almost like a clinical term because the Chinese one-child policy. Almost every woman I know, my sisters, I have three sisters, all of my sister now, everybody had abortion. Sometimes more than one. I, I never had one, well, of course not. Uh, but to them, it's just what do you do? You become pregnant, you can only have one child, you go get abortion. So it's just like you got a cold, you take a medicine, you come back home. Um, yeah, it became wow. so commonplace. I think you know it's just. No big deal. I mean, really, I think a lot of people just take it that way anymore. And then for the younger women who are, you know, in experience, they don't know. Like, there was one woman in my book. She was 16. And she she, she thinks, like, getting abortion is no problem. Just like, um, yeah, like, you caught a cold. You take some cold pills. It's over. So she would, uh, she you know, she would have unprotected sex. And uh, she, you know, the other women, older women who were in the chat room tried to advise her. She just said, oh, you know, I'll just go get an abortion, and my boyfriend will take me, and he'll pay for it, so what's the big deal? You know, that's what, that's what abortion to her, so... Now, you mentioned something, you just alluded to it uh, very briefly, but you had mentioned the one-child policy. Uh, in your mm-hmm. book, you also said that there were times where uh, the wives would actually encourage their husbands to get a second wife, so uh, they they could kind of skirt around. It was almost like a loophole for the one-child yeah. policy. Yes, yes, yes. Um, you know the in in in, in Chinese culture, you know the, the Confucius culture, having an, a male descendant is your number one priority, your number one duty as a son. Really, so if you don't, you have you know no male offspring, you have failed basically uh, as a man. So even you know even though things have changed a lot, you know people live in the city, they're more they're 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 not as traditional as that, but it was in the blood. You know, it's like five thousand of you know Chinese culture. So yeah, people still they want they want male child. You know, it's like men feels like that the proof of their you know manhood or something. Yes. Yeah, so, so with one child policy, you know, you have one daughter in Vietnam, and some of them are they're both um, they say both the husband and wife work for the government. So if they have a second child, they lose their job. Or they lose their housing. And it's just like, you know, very harsh punishment. You know, so to get, or get around that, now the husband say, well, I have another baby with uh, another woman. Maybe she has a child, it's, you know, it's still my child. And the wife, you know, sometimes supportive. You know? so. Wow. Now, there was, there was another thing. Uh, if you could just explain this a little bit more, because you said that you came across 
a forum, uh, an online forum that was almost like a, a second wives club where these men would come in and, and you had compared it to, you know, uh, women being traded, uh, kind of like, like, a like, like an animal or like a used car. Yes. How does that work? How does that work? Uh, let's say, you know, let's say you have a mistress for, you know, for a year and a half. You know, like, you know, it's, it's, I think part of the sexual excitement comes from novelty. So you become habituated. Having sex with her is less exciting. Now you want a newer model. You want a younger one. Just somebody new. So you, you treat her. You, 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 you pose her, you know, like, you, you, you know, here is this woman. You can take her and, uh, you know, maybe I... I, I can take, you know, your mistress or I find a new one. Yeah, so women and sexuality became an, a commodity. So basically somebody could come and say, you know what, I have a second wife. Uh, she yeah. is a college student, and I'm yeah. looking for somebody who's willing to trade for a model. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And, and, like and that happens? Platform for that. I don't know. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't really get any response. I just I saw the size and I, I read their description. That's what it meant for. I don't know if it's active. You know, when I tried to contact them, nobody you know replied to me. So I don't know if it's actually. But that was what it designed for. Wow, I mean that yeah. is that is. And, and you were uh, talking about there's there's certain social media aspects that I think a lot of our listeners are not familiar with. Um, one of them being WeChat. And WeChat, mm-hmm. for those that are not familiar, it's kind of like Facebook, Twitter, Amazon.com, and PayPal all wrapped up into one program. And so everybody uh, has WeChat. Yeah. Yes, everybody has WeChat, and, and you can use it to pay for things. Um, you can use it to uh, pay for a meal uh, in China. You can actually send money from uh, one WeChat account to another WeChat account in China. Um, were you able to use a system like WeChat to get into any of the the second uh, the second wives forums? Yes, I, that's what I use. The QQ. They also have QQ. So yeah. I was in the QQ chat room. Then later on, when WeChat became you know came into being, then I yeah I also joined the WeChat chat group. Yes. Wow. Uh, if if yeah. somebody is interested, um, can you give them the information about? Uh, your name, I don't think I've said your full name. I said, uh, I've been calling you Lily. Uh, but uh, could you give them the, your name as the author and the name of the book? Sure. My name is Lily. Uh, I use my, my Chinese name, Li Chi, as my middle name. So Lily Li Chi Patrika. Uh, so that's my name. And the, the title of the book is uh, China's Second Wife. So Lily Li Chi Patrika. Thank you so yes. much for joining us and giving us your time. Our interview went a little bit longer than I thought, but it was because your material really is exciting. Uh, I encourage any of our listeners to to go onto Amazon.com or uh, anywhere they can get this book at a at a local bookstore and, and pick it up. I guarantee you, uh, the the information that Lily Land lays out is going to blow you away. And t- even if you are an old veteran of China information, this will be completely new for you. Thank you so much, Lili, for joining us. Thank you, King. Okay, bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
that to me is one of those aspects of Chinese society that uh, it's it's a reality. I mean, it's not something that mission organizations usually talk about, but I wanted to mention it because uh, in the church today in China, um, extramarital affairs is a very real problem. So even though you might be praying for the underground house church and the underground house church missionaries that are going abroad, just know that they are dealing with the same exact problems as every other culture, every other person uh, deals with. They're not superhuman. They're not uh, impervious to sin and failure. But this is something that is the enemy is using very, very strongly in China to attack Christian believers. Uh, China's Second Wives by Lili Lichi Patrika. Thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Northern Europe. God bless you. Hello, I'm Eugene Bach, and I'm coming to you with a little bit of a Back to Jerusalem emergency. We need your help. For those of you that are able to help, if you are retired or you are a student or you are finding yourself right now with a vision to serve in missions, we need you. Today, Back to Jerusalem missionaries in China are training people that are going to the field between China and Jerusalem in the 1040 window. Many of those students are learning English as their second language, and if you speak English, we need your help. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably speak English. For those that are willing to make a six-month commitment or a one-semester commitment, we will provide housing and air tickets once you pass a very simple background check and sign a confidentiality agreement. The schools are underground house church schools, and they desperately need your partnership today. This is a offer that we are giving out, sending out for the very first time because we are in an emergency situation where we have missionaries that are ready to go. They just need help. We can arrange all of the logistics to get your visa, housing, and transportation if you send me an email at sinobach at gmail.com. S-I-N-O-B-A-C-H at gmail.com. Again, you can send me a message to my email at S-I-N-O-B-A-C-H at gmail.com. Thank you for praying about this, and thank you for partnering together with Back to Jerusalem. God bless.